Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Thanks so much to everybody who made last night possible um, from the uh, all the people that showed up, for, you know, the people who bought tickets, who won the tickets, who brought friends. I even met... Uh, a couple that was on their first date, they came out to the News and Brews event that we held last night. Uh, thanks to uh, the promotions team, sales team, management, uh, the producer staff, uh, everybody that made it all possible. We had a lot of fun. I closed the place down. Heist Brewery and Barrel and uh, Ballantine Dentistry and QC Kinetics. Uh, thanks a lot. It was a great event. Had a lot of fun. Uh, hang, uh, hung out on stage for a couple of the segments. Cracked some jokes, you know, that sort of thing, as I am known to do. And then um, just, you know, hung out and spoke with people until everybody left. And uh, so that being said, there is a downside to this is that I'm a little, uh, I am a little tired. I mean, I'm not like having to work the morning shift after doing that event tired, but it's kind of, I'm, I'm a little tired. So just not on my A game. In case, just as, in case it's obvious, which it shouldn't be, because I'm a professional, but I felt, I, but I'm also honest, so I wanted to tell you ahead of time. All right. So, um, also, I can't really bash Joe Biden. Well, okay, on one thing, because yes, I can bash Joe Biden on a lot of stuff, but like I can't, I can't really bash him on, on this thing where he got, uh, he got the card. You know, he got the little, the little cheat sheet. He got the card of a reporter to call on at the press conference that he did yesterday with the president of South Korea, who, by the way, sings American Pie. Did you know that? Yeah, the video was at the state dinner last night. They presented him with with an acoustic guitar signed by Don McLean because apparently the president of South Korea uh, is a big karaoke guy. And uh, at least he was like back in college and he used to uh, do these karaoke contests and he would sing American Pie. And so they gave him a mic and he they played some music and he sang the first verse. He was pretty good. It's pretty good. So um, I did not know that. But anyway, during their joint press conference that coincidentally was held uh, just a day or two, I think, after... Uh, the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, was uh, getting raked over the coals for not having enough news conferences and and, and Joe Biden not taking questions from the reporters uh, that then they coincidentally had this joint press conference with the South Korean president. And uh, the South Korean president, by the way, is Yoon Suk-yeol. I'm going to say it's Suk. It's S-U-K, but I'm, I am pronouncing it Suk. Because this is a family show. But a cheat sheet held by President Joe Biden during the press conference revealed that the 80-year-old commander-in-chief had advanced knowledge of a question from a journalist. And here's why I can't really bash him too badly for it. 
if you've never called into the show, you might not know this, but when you call into the radio program, Bernie will screen the call, he will ask you your name, and he will ask you what your question is or what your comment is. And then he types it onto a, a screen, and I can see the screen. So I know I have advanced knowledge. I'm as big a fraud as Joe Biden. Now, I will, I also have to point out that the reporter did not ask specifically the same question that was on the card. The card says, how are you, and you is capitalized, all caps, capital Y, capital O, capital E, how are you squaring your domestic priorities, like reshoring semiconductor manufacturing with alliance-based foreign policy? Now, that was a a question that came from an L.A. Times reporter. And it had her picture, it had a pronunciation of her last name, because it's Subramanian, 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 well, I don't know. So, yes, obviously there is a pronunciation. And he didn't even try. He just called her Courtney. <laughs> he said, Courtney, Los Angeles Times. And, uh, and so she asked a question, but it was a two-parter, and it went on for a very long time. Uh, but it was not specifically that same. It was along, The first part of it was along the same lines. But it raises this question of whether or not there – they're asking these questions in advance. Whether the reporters are playing ball here with the White House, right? Whether the reporters are sending an advanced script of what their question's going to be. And look, it's pretty obvious that is what occurred here. And I would venture to guess, not the first time. That palm card he had was pretty high quality production value. Like, yeah, like that that was not the first run. That was not the first run of that thing. It had her photo on it, like picture like uh you know, color photo. Not some black and white, you know, reprint or something. No, no. I mean this thing was I think it even had like some edging, some border edging around it and was like a thick kind of card stock too, had some heft to it. Like all good business cards. And it was pretty large. And I got to believe there were several of them because there was another card that um, showed the names of Biden administration officials uh, to relay the order that remarks would be delivered at the press conference. There was another cheat sheet showing the names of other Biden administration officials to relay the order that remarks would be delivered at the press conference. Uh, uh, press, uh, yeah, at the press conference. So I, I don't know how long it's been going on. I think it's been going on a while. Like since the basement tapes, right? 2020, the basement uh, interviews and such. The revelation came during a joint press conference with the South Korean president as the nation celebrate the 70th anniversary of uh, our alliance with South Korea. Um, And this is not the first time that Biden's crib notes have been outed by speedy photojournalists which fuel Republican speculation about his mental acuity. Oh, sorry. I should have let off with this, actually. Guys, Operation CZ Pounce has commenced. We are now to seize upon this information. We are to seize upon the the cards. And then we pounce. We pounce on this and seize on it. That's the operation. You know the drill. His physician reported the president uh, was in good health in February, but refused to field questions from reporters about his cognitive 
strength. Last June, the president exposed a comically worded cheat sheet with detailed instructions. Remember this one? And again, they, they, they capitalized the word you. They keep capitalizing you, putting it in all caps so it stands out. So he can look down and see when it says you, it's talking to him. And so he knows what his, like, remember that the other one was, um, they, they were like stage directions. You enter the Roosevelt room and say hello to participants. You take your seat, right? <laughs> As opposed to someone else's seat. I don't know. But they didn't just say take your seat. They're saying you. And I almost wonder, like, that's purposeful because it was also in this cheat sheet yesterday at the press conference. How are you squaring your domestic priorities? It's almost like there's some there's some verbal key picking going or lock picking going on there, right? There's something going on there where they're they're trying to trigger something in in the way he sees these notes. Like, for example, when you uh, when you're studying for a, a school play or something, right? You're gonna run your lines. You gotta memorize all your lines. What do you do? You highlight in the script your lines, right? So you can see them very quickly. You highlight them all. That's what this seems like. I mean, obviously he doesn't need to highlight them because they're all for him. But it's like this, it's like a recentering, a refocusing kind of a, a tactic where all of the word, every time the word you appears, it's always capitalized. It's just weird. It's just weird. Also, remember back in July 2021, he accepted an embarrassing note from an aide, also snapped by a photographer. Somebody took, uh, got a picture of it and said, Sir, there is something on your chin. You got a little schmutz down there. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. It's ice cream, a little chocolate chocolate chip going on there. To me, the weird part about that story is that whoever the aide was that wrote the note felt it necessary to write first, sir. Sir, there is something on your chin. Really? Like you have to write sir in that note? Like that's the, like, come on, time is of the essence. He's got something on his chin. He's in front of the, the press corps. Do you have to throw the sir in there? Because, like, what if, yeah, I don't know if it was handwritten or not. It may have been typed. That's true. But if it's handwritten and you, you know, you got sloppy handwriting, that sir could have turned into something else. I don't know what. Filtered through the mind of an 80-year-old. I don't know. But it's just weird. Sir, there is something on your chin. <laughs> what, what I wouldn't have given, though, for him to have read that as if it was a stage cue, you know? And I'm uh, just being handed a note here that, uh, sir, there is something on your chin. Oh, my gosh. All right. Also, Dr. Fauci, the science, Tony, the science Fauci, gave a massive interview. Well, it's actually a series. It was a series of, of interviews to the New York Times. Dr. Fauci looks back on the pandemic and what went wrong. Oh, my goodness. You're going to want to take a listen to this. All right. I will get to I'm going to get to the story from the New York Times and uh Tony, the science Fauci. First, let me get to a couple of messages. This is a Pete tweet. It's from Russ. Yes, Russ, I am sorry I did not get to talk with you at the end of the event last night. Um, we briefly spoke, and I was going to circle back to you like Jen Psaki does, but uh, but you were gone, and now I, I know why. He had to. He says, I had to bail to get my oldest back to UNCC to study. <sighs> what are your priorities, Russ? 
Um, I wanted to ask about your brother. I think we overlapped at the Citadel. I graduated in 93, Delta Company. So, yes, you would have. Yeah, he was November Company. Yeah, he was there because he graduated high school in 89, I want to say. Yeah, because he was there. He was a knob during Hugo, I think. Right? 89? Yeah. Hurricane Hugo. He was down there for Hurricane Hugo. Well, although they sent everybody home. And then they brought them all back. Um, do, 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 and I did see another message here about last night. Yes, from at Patriot Girl, uh, who said, Boomer really is the nicest. Last night was so much fun. Also, um, what a coincidence that uh, at Patriot Girl, uh, that the, the heist brewery where the event was last night, that used to be her dad's shop or business. Like that whole facility was her dad's years and years ago. So it's pretty cool. Uh, they, it's a great location. And uh, in the event space that they opened up, and it's really cool. Really cool. Uh, all righty. So this is, I thought, a pretty important piece. I read it so you don't have to. I used all of my wily ways to beat the New York Times paywall uh, to read this monstrosity of an article it's an interview basically with Fauci written by David Wallace Wells and there's a so I use the brave um, browser which people ask is it a good browser when I tell them and they and I will say yes it's uh, I even had somebody ask is it better than Firefox and actually it's it's creator is the creator of Firefox Brendan Ike, and remember when he got ousted from his own company because he made a donation to the the marriage, the you know the Defense of Marriage Act, whatever it was Prop Eight out in California, and he was a donor. Remember, like they they hacked in and they got the donor lists or something, and then they published them, and it turned out this guy had made some nominal donation to the campaign, and so then he got ousted from his own company. Um, well, fast forward a couple of years, he creates a competitor browser. And so that's the one I use and it's fantastic. Um, and it doesn't track you. Uh, like if you open up it. Yeah. So when you open up the browser, like their land, their homepage, basically the blank page, if you will, um, it, it has a tracker here that said, or it's a tracker and ad blocker counter. Okay. So it counts since I've been using brave. It says, 798,668 trackers and ads blocked. And then it has an analysis that that means I've saved uh, like 11 gig in bandwidth and saved 11.1 hours. So that so they've given me 11 hours of my life back by, I guess, not having to click through the ads or close the ads or whatever. So it blocks all of that stuff. And sometimes... That means you can't see websites correctly. That is true. But then they have a little button and you press it and um, you put the shields up or down. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. I have it. Shields are down. Oh, oh, my gosh. That was close. All right. Put them back up. It's a one click and they go back up. Anyway, that's the browser I use. And the browser I use, Brave, it gives you a... um, this reader view, and it tells you how long it takes you to read the articles. Because when you click on the reader view, it takes all the uh, the uh, 
the picture's out, the video's out, and it just becomes a nice, clean sheet of paper. And then I can print that, by the way. But it also tells you how long it takes you to read the article. You know how long this thing is? 46 to 58 minutes long. I read it so you don't have to. I am a giver. You're welcome. All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustan Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at CarolinaReadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? New York Times, with a very, very lengthy interview with the science, and uh, I'll give you some of the highlights here. In my best Fauci impression, I'm going to try. And I think it'll get better as I go. That usually is the case with me. It's going to start pretty rough. I should have actually practiced during the break, but oh well, time is lost. Um, first, David Wallace Wells, that is the author of this piece, the reporter in uh, the New York Times that did a series of interviews with Fauci over the course of like several days or weeks or whatever and compiled it all into this like 10-page story. And he starts off by saying it was perhaps an impossible job. Make one man the face of public health amid an unprecedented pandemic in a country as fractious as the United States, and there were bound to be disappointments and frustrations, and they were bound to get personal. See, so it was just, we, there's nothing to be done. This, it was inevitable. At least 30 state legislatures have since passed laws limiting public health powers during pandemics. This January, The month after Anthony Fauci, the science, retired as the four-decade head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, barely half of Americans now say they trusted the country's public health institutions to manage a future pandemic. The Wall Street Journal named that as Fauci's legacy, sowing distrust about public health and vaccines. I'd say that's accurate. Fauci did a lot of damage in the course of the pandemic to that end. Of course, there were mistakes and missteps, including some by Fauci, describing the threat to the country as minuscule in February 2020. Whoops, got that one wrong, okay? Remember, he also first advised against wearing masks, moved slowly on the uh, recognition that it was spread by aerosol, right? In the air or play down the risk of what were first called breakthrough infections in the summer of 2021. And the broader public health establishment that Fauci came to embody made other mistakes, too, even if it wasn't always easy to know at the time or identify later who exactly was responsible. Almost certainly schools stayed closed longer than they needed to. (gasps) Wait, what? Really? It's amazing because, like, nobody was saying they needed to open up sooner. I don't remember anybody saying that. Very conspicuously, American vaccination rates never approached the levels of peer nations. And the problem wasn't just the anti-vaccine right. Quarantine guidance 
was abruptly shortened in the midst of the Omicron variant, when thresholds of community spread levels were uh, suddenly redefined as well. Remember that? The lefties were very upset. There was no effective paid sick leave instituted in the official end of the pandemic emergency on May 11th, coming up, imperils the Medicaid coverage of 15 million Americans. But three years on, whether you are focused on COVID's direct carnage or on its collateral damage, it seems irrational to pin the brutality of America's pandemic on policy failures, however much Americans want to put the blame somewhere or on someone. Look, uh, all right, look, I have said this from the very beginning. I continue to maintain this today, uh, which is that people made mistakes. I am willing to forgive people for making some of those mistakes because they were they had bad options. They didn't know what they were doing. They were relying on people. They were trusting in, you know, Tony, the science Fauci and Deborah Burks and, you know, the Trump administration's entire approach at the beginning. And then the Biden administration's approach um, when Biden got in. So, like, I, I am willing to give people some some latitude. Right. What I am not willing to do is to ignore the kind of look back that this piece does, and I think rightfully so, and this has to be done, and it has to be done at every level. It, this has to be done at the county level. It's got to be done at the state level. I keep asking the the Raleigh Capitol Press Corps, you know, is anybody going to ever ask Roy Cooper, my good friend Ray, the governor, going to ask him if he ever made a single mistake, a bad call? Did he pick the wrong option at any point? Could you tell us what that might be? And it's not... It's not to spike the football in his face, although that would, you know, I mean, momentarily it would, you know, give me some joy. But no, that's not the point. The point is so we don't do it again. The point is so we have somebody who can get up there and say, I made these decisions. These were wrong. Looking back on it, we shouldn't have done it this way. So we shouldn't do it that way if it ever arises again. That's why you do that. And you can tell at one point, Actually, a couple points in this interview with the science that the science gets a little touchy. The science, get, he, he gets, a, he, he, you can tell he's, he gets a little bent out of shape with some of the questions, calling it Monday morning quarterbacking. And the reporter, to his credit, says, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. Because it's required. Right? This is, you got to do the postmortem. Fauci said... Something clearly went wrong. I don't know exactly what it was, but the reason we know it went wrong is that we are the richest country in the world. And on a per capita basis, we've done worse than virtually all other countries. And there's no reason that a rich country like ours has to have 1.1 million deaths. It's unacceptable. Now, a footnote at the story here says, according to Our World in Data, there have been more than... 3,300 official, 3,300 deaths per million inhabitants in the U.S. 3,300 deaths per million. If you look at Peru, that had some of the world's strictest lockdowns. And their total is twice as high. 6,400 per million. How do you explain that? In the U.K., their number is about 3,280. So, like, almost the same as ours. Brazil, it's 3,250. I don't trust the Russian numbers. 
the Swedes in Sweden. Remember, Sweden was held up as this model because they didn't lock down. They had 2,200 deaths per million. Germany, 2,000 deaths per million. Fauci said the divisiveness was palpable. Just in trying to get a coherent message across of following fundamental public health principles. I understand that there will always be differences of opinion among people saying, well, what's the cost-benefit balance of restriction or of masks? But when you have a fundamental argument about things like whether to get vaccinated or not, that is extraordinary. Right. Well, keep in mind, the, the question of vaccination arose because credibility had already been undermined, uh, undermined by the time the vaccines rolled out. And then people started... We started seeing, like, with the teachers, right? They were using it as leverage, right? They they said, we, we're we not going back to work until everybody gets vaccinated. And they started doing these, like, lotteries, and they started talking about equity and stuff. It's like, well, wait a minute. Who's the most vulnerable population? And, yes, there is a downside. We remember we had been locked down, right? We were bending the curve, flattening the curve. Remember that? Well, yeah, people people started to suspect that you guys were just winging it, and you didn't really know the things that you were claiming you knew you were I mean you were guessing you were making recommendations which by the way Fauci later on says that's all they were doing you know I didn't shut anything down he says I didn't shut down a single school we just gave recommendations that's that's the line they're going with now all right now you've heard me talk about them old grouches military surplus they're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic u.s military surplus items go to oldgrouch.com check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop unique really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles tim at old grouches is always finding new stuff when i started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic my first advertiser was old grouches if you enjoy the show and derive any value from it i'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor there really is something for everyone at old grouch's military surplus in beautiful downtown clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. dave says it's a pretty good fauci voice i appreciate it like i said i think it's going to get better i think it improves with age like wine so that's the line they're going with now that fauci didn't specifically lock you down. He was just making recommendations. Other people decided to lock us down. They just, you know. I'm it's it's a it's a different pocket in the same pair of pants, if you will. Right. So he says, um, why do you have red states that are unvaccinated and blue states that are vaccinated? Why do you have death rates among Republicans that are higher than death rates among Democrats and independents? The divisiveness, that's part of it. The other part has nothing to do with that divisiveness. It has to do with the fracturing of our healthcare delivery system in this country. Okay, I got another idea. I'm just spitballing on this one. But um, what do we always hear about uh, about conservatives as a demographic, right? What do we usually hear? They're old, right? Don't we usually hear that, that they're old? <laughs> Could that be why a lot of Republicans died from COVID? Maybe. I, again, just spitballing on that one. Is it possible that they had more, more comorbidities, one of which was being old? Because that, that was a big factor. I'm sure vaccination status has some impact one way or the other. But 
I'm thinking there might be some other ideas behind it, too. So the reporter then says, you called America's pandemic performance virtually the worst in the world on a per capita basis. But judging by excess mortality, the U.S. ranks about 40th. Still much more brutal than you would want from the world's richest country, but not quite as extreme. Which, again, I find this interesting, too, that, well, we're rich. We're a rich country, so we shouldn't have, what, been affected by a virus that, that attacks old people? But if we have an older population in America, again, don't you think that might have some sort of an impact on the data? Everywhere across Europe and the Americas, there are no real successes. They're just degrees of failures. This is what the reporter says. Policies differed from place to place, but not by that much. And while some managed better than others, everybody suffered, which makes me wonder, was it vanity to believe, as many of us did early in the pandemic, that we had the tools we needed to bring the nightmare to an end. And Fauci says, yeah, you're probably on to something there, David. I remember a public conversation I was having about the importance of a very effective degree of preparedness, how much it will allow you to escape significant damage from an outbreak. And I remember saying, depending on the transmissibility, morbidity, and mortality of a particular pathogen, that sometimes, no matter how well you are prepared, you are going to get a lot of hurt. This was one of those outbreaks. And you're probably right. When you look around, nobody did great except maybe one or two countries. Maybe everybody did poorly. Well, now, wait a minute. So... So this is all just degrees of failure. So all of the de- the talk of the divisiveness and the demonization and all of that. And here, though, you turn around and say, yeah, you know what, though? Virus is going to virus and kind of hit everybody. Nobody really did a good job. Well, well, then why are you still going off on the on the divisive aspect? He says, I could say, well, yeah, we tried our best and we still got screwed. So we're going to get screwed no matter what happens in the next one. But I don't think that's an appropriate response. I, I don't think you have to say it that way. But I mean, I think you could be a little bit more realistic. Like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of hurt. It's a virus. That's what that, that's what happens with viruses. But also, I would like to think that maybe just maybe, you know, when you're responding to the hurt, maybe you know, don't accuse people of peddling horse paste. You know, dewormers and such. Maybe allow people to practice the battlefield medicine. Again, what do I know? I'm just a little old talk show host. Uh-huh.